Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Logar. How are you doing today, Len? I am doing pretty well, Logar. How is everything over there? Good. We unfortunately we got to play Dungeon Crawl Classics last night. We're just about at the end. I think we're going to shelf it and play Mutant Call Classics here in another couple of weeks. But I think we have one more thing to finish through. We had to cut for time. We were in the midst of a massive battle, but it was a fun game. It was, have you played Dungeon Crawl Classics yet? I haven't, believe it or not. I obviously know about it. I know what it is, but I've, I've never gotten around to just, just having the opportunity to play it, either Dungeon Crawl or Mutant Crawl. But you know what? I am curious, and maybe you could tell me a little bit. I know it's very similar to old classic D&D, but there are some, oh. there are some neat differences that they, they have. And I, like, what are those? I'd say number one, like just in general, it's nowhere near similar to like a lot of the retro clones that exist. It definitely has its own thing that it's doing. For example, uh, for example, you have to roll all your spells. When you're rolling spells, there's a whole spell table, and depending on how much you roll or how high you roll, you get extra dice and can, stuff like that, so you can roll higher than normal as well. And depending on how high you roll, it depends on how good the spell turns out and what the spell does. If it doesn't work out, there's repercussions. There's it's not the basic six attributes. I can't. It's um. We have luck in there instead of charisma that's thrown in there. And there's personality. So I guess it's not. So it's strength, agility, stamina, personality, luck, and intelligence in there. So there are some pretty big differences. If you're familiar with D&D and you're used to rolling the 20th strike against someone's armor class, that's there. But there's a lot more uh, times when you get extra, like they got all the extra funny dice, as everybody says, <laughs> and they add those into there as well. So there's quite a few differences. Do those funny dice, the extra weird one, like the 14 side or what? I don't even know if there's, but does that come into play a lot when you're playing that? You know, honestly, I don't feel like they come into play a whole lot. They do, depending on what you're doing, but I haven't. There's definitely nights where I use just a 20 and whatever damage dice. Got it. It depends. On, and I think it's going to depend too on what you're able to do and stuff like that. And when you get your extra dice added to whatever, some of the check tables, like just check to see what happens are on those odd sided dice. So that if you only get a D 10 or whatever, it's not going to be able to reach such a large number. So if that makes sense. And does mutant crawl classics like put, built around the same frame? You know, because yeah. obviously Dungeon Crawl Classics is your nod to D&D and Mutant Crawl is your nod to Gamma World. Yeah, so I've only got, I've got the main book and I've got like the first dozen or so modules for it. I've read through it. We haven't played it yet. We're about to. From what I've seen, it seems pretty much like the same game, but like you said, it's the Gamma World version of it. You got all kinds of strange mutations and stuff that happen randomly, roll up your characters. One of the big differences is you roll up a zero level character in these games and you do the funnel, as they say, and you kill everybody off and build up a first level character out of your survivor, essentially, is how it works. Yep, yep. The, the, the character funnel thing that you and I chatted about, I think, last time we spoke. But, you know, the one thing I have I wanted to ask, now that you've played that game and played it for a while, I've heard mixed reviews about this, and this is not in terms of that it's not awesome. It's it's awesome if you like that kind of stuff. But I'm wondering what your experience was with it was. 
the magic is so kind of wild and chaotic as far you know, as I understand, much kind of less controlled than your normal D&D or a lot of other games where you've got X spells and you can do X things, you know, whether those spells are um, defined ahead of time or even in those systems that allow you to craft different spell effects together and kind of tape them together in play to create a specific effect. Not so much a fan of those because I think those slow gameplay a lot, especially mm-hmm. if the like what like what game what game does this? Um, I mean, off the top of my head, I, I mean, there's a game that it's called um, Atlantis: The Second Age, not the I current edition. That. Yeah, not the current edition. There was another that probably is a whole separate podcast, but it was a, <laughs> an old. Uh, it's spun off of a Bard Games D and D supplement um called like the arcanum which had a bunch of classes in it and they kind of went like it was the complete alchemist and the complete bard they had those these these, like sort of supplement books oh yeah Um, and then they came out with their own game and the long and short is the second edition of that game um has a spell system where you basically kind of glue spell effects together to create spells and it's not the only sort of system i've seen that 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 does that it's not a common system but i have seen it a few times typically i think the problem with those systems is just that they can slow down gameplay as the gm tries to figure out the gm and the player together kind of figure out how many points the spell costs or what role you have to make or whatever it is you have to figure out depending on how powerful the spell is you know is it a contact or is it range how powerful an effect are you trying to do? How many people does the spell target? And every time you have to do some sort of cobbling together, some sort of calculation to figure out this. So, but even in a system like that, as a sorcerer or so as a magic user, you know what you're doing. You know, you know you're going to do X. You might succeed, you might fail, but you know what you're doing. D&D is the same thing. I cast Magic Missile. I know what I'm doing. I cast some other spell. It'll work or it'll fail depending on what I roll or whether my opponent makes a save, but I know what I'm doing. When you walk into a system like Dungeon Crawl Classics, from what I understand, there's a lot less certainty in terms of what's going to happen when I cast that spell. And yeah. that always struck me as something that's fun when you're just kind of talking about it, but to actually <laughs> play it, it feels almost disempowering on the part of the magician. Is that when you when you when you hit it and you hit it good, you're excited. I definitely say it is like rolling and missing. Like oh poop, I just I just fumbled. I don't do anything to the bad guy this turn. It's a lot more like running regular combat. On the other hand, there are like negative things that happen to the characters on really bad rolls. One of the cool things is they also have like how the spell manifest tables in the spell. So each spell's got a, at least a full page. And after you cast it, you can roll like how it happens. Like, does it come out as energy or slime or, and it, and it describes the actual thing that's occurring because it changes each time you cast it. So it does, it, it adds a lot of flavor and flair. I'd say that when you hit it, it's exciting to hit it. Sometimes you hit it just kind of, okay, that little spell. And then when you hit it big and you get a high roll and it gets more and more powerful and you end up blowing up a main bad guy with nothing, with just that one spell and just obliterate them, it's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, like, you know, if I'm playing D&D, I know that lightning or fireball is going to do a mad amount of damage and stuff. I know that I know which one is to pull out. 
here you pull out lightning or fireball you're not 100 sure it could be a poof or it could be the big winner you pull out something that's not normally a big powerful winner and spell that you go to that could be the big winning spell so that element that kind of changes it up you're not 100 sure which spell is going to blow everybody up and kick butt that's kind of interesting i do like that appreciate that about it it seems very interesting and at the same time it kind of feels like um the magicians in this world are kind of bumbling yes <laughs> you know what i mean magic is a bumbling thing in this in this game magic is not a precise science and they have they have put an emphasis on wizard's duels i'm not sure i've seen something like a wizard's duel in another game i'm sure they've had them I, i've not engaged in them but i've engaged in wizard's duels in these and it's a a system of rolling off against each other and using counter spells and stuff like that. And, and terrible things can happen to you. I think my character ended up being permanently charged with energy. So now he walks around. His name's Sagan. And he is named after Carl Sagan. <laughs> and he walks around with energies kind of sparkling off him because of uh, uh, the repercussions of a wizard spell and a spell thrown through there. So they oh, permanently, permanently leave marks on your characters. That's look. That's very very interesting. I don't know if that would kind of uh, 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 kind of work for me for long term play. <laughs> you know, for a one shot or for a brief thing, I think that would be fun. But I think for long, like I, I think it's ide an ideal game for one shots because of things like this fun. It sounds like it. Yeah, it's an ideal game for one shots. If you want to want one shots, DCC is the one of your like. Oh, that's a great game to do it. They have so many modules that can be done as a one shot. And it's not very crunchy, as they put it. It is kind of stripped down with rolling up a character. It's easy and quick to do for the most part. Although it is a game where you're going back to the book a lot. And that's one of the reasons I don't like crunchy things. Because all the variants in DCC, I don't want to be ripping open a book all the time. I get it. You have to have those charts to roll on in order to happen. Most of the time, I'd like to put the book away and play. DCC is not going to happen as much. Pathfinder, I had, when I ran Pathfinder, I had the book out all the time. I, I just had the book out on reference the entire game. It's like, you're going to do what again? <laughs> let's, okay, let's go remember what page this thing was on so you can figure out how that worked. Well, I think you could say that, you know, I think you could say that for any D&D &D type game. Um, if you have a spellcaster, for example, mm -hmm. even the BX games with, you know, old school essentials, which we kind of hail as super easy. Well, you know, we've been playing them for a little bit and have a little bit of knowledge about them. Um, but the fact of the matter is if you have a mage in there at all, you know, a magic user or whatever they're called, if they've got spells, or if you've got bad guys who have spells, uh, you're going to, you know, you can go to the book to figure out what those spells do unless you have them memorized. We may know a few of the more common ones more easily, but, uh, you know, I, I think that going to the book thing is, is part of any game where you've got spells or special abilities. There's just probably more of it. I, I, I took my, uh, I was playing in a game of Castles and Crusades and I had a magic user. And for her, I went to the, the little witch store in town. They sell all the new age stuff and, uh, crystals and you know what i'm talking about and they sell the books on magic and and magic components for your witchcraft and all and i bought one of those really cool looking spell books they have 
and I wrote my character spells out entirely in there. The full spell was written in how it worked and everything it went through. And that, you know what? Having that little book to pull out and be like, oh, that's a what level for because I put them in, I, I left space to fill in between pages, calculate, okay, how much will I need? And I was super easy to find my spells. I just had them there in my spell book. I'm like, let me get Idril's spell book. She's got it right here. <laughs> that is an elfin, an elven wizard. Imagine what me. was her name? Idril. Nice, because uh, I had a character named Imdrils. So how funny is that? But <laughs> apart from that, um, that what you've just described, if I had not known anything about you, and you described that to me, my first comment would be, You've run a lot of games, haven't you? Not just played. Because that is, those are the actions of a man who has run many a game. <laughs> I have. I have <laughs> because that way you've got everything there. Because when we were talking about this and about spellcasters, my first thought was, you know, really what you should do is have the description of each of your spells, like on the back of your character sheet or, or on extra sheets. Not, not what they are, but at least a description so that that way if the GM's like, what does that do? You're like, here you go, bam. Here yeah, you and you have the, any numbers and multiple multipliers associated with it, durations of spells, things like that that you're not going to want to have to look up in game. I just put it in that pretty little, uh, it's sitting there right on my shelf with my other game books. It's a beautiful leather bound, tiny little little spell book that they sold at the witch store. I'm like, that would be perfect for my character spells. I'm getting it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I still love the book just for this, how beautiful it is. <laughs> Well, so you know what that 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 got me, you know, in 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 mentioning the the sort of magic and the way they handle it there and the randomness and so on. Let me ask you, do you have a preference? I mean, do you prefer a system where it's like wacky and wild and you don't know what's going to happen, or where you kind of, as a magician, know? And does it make a difference if you're doing one shots versus extended play? Like, I'm so going to volunteer. I'm going to volunteer something real quick, which is. When I think of wizards, I think the bumbling, who knows what's going to happen. Like every time I cast a spell, it's like using a wand of wonder and you don't know if you're going to get butterflies or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think that sounds incredibly fun for a one shot, but I can't, I, I once have made one bumbling character intentionally, but I think if I were making a wizard, I'd be thinking Merlin or Gandalf or, or somebody who has a vague clue as to what they're doing, at least eventually, if not at the start. And so I think I'd want a little bit more control over what I'm doing, but that might be just personally. So I like it. I, I like to know what the outcome is going to be of the spell at the end of the day. It's fun to play something different and change it up. If I'm running a game, if I could peg out and say, Oh, this is the, if I had to, I think we did the desert Island and I had to pick just one game to run forever. And I was stuck with that game. I think I said it before that game would be a D and D second edition. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, I'm stuck with that and all its books. Let's go with the a D and D. That fancy and magic system there, the way spells are, I'm very comfortable with it. I also encountered it like, as it, I was like, what? Like a D and D was like 15 or something. When I encountered a D and D, I, I mostly just played sci-fi games up to that point. So through that formative years when you're that young and you're a kid, you're like 15, 16, 17, into my 20, playing that game. I played that game into my, I ran AD&D second ed into my 30s. So I mean, I've had a lot of experience with that specific edition of Dungeons and Dragons more than any. That probably influences it. 
That's yeah, probably yeah. why. I have to lie. I've got to agree. No, no, trust me. I mean, I, I wouldn't pick AD&D second edition for sure. Oh, I definitely would. I, I'm a big fan of it. I love it. <laughs> it works for me. I'm like, yeah, let's go with AD&D second edition. Jump on that one. I know how this goes. <laughs> but I, honestly, I got to tell you, I think my, like, if I, I'd be like, give me a, give me a, a lot of paper and a whole lot of pens and a whole lot of dice and I'll write my own. <laughs> that might be like, if you only had one option. If I, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I really, I really appreciate the year zero system right now. Yeah. And I think that jumping when I ran Forbidden Lands, jumping from the Vancey and Magic system to that, I think I had, a, I think I struggled a little more than I should have changing up the Magic system. I had a hard time sometimes getting my head around it. You know, I didn't have. Well, I don't see the slots, so I guess you can just keep on casting the spell if you're able to. I guess that's how this... So I had apprehensions and questions. Like, this is very different for me. So, And I didn't start with Fancy and Magic. A Palladium Magic system uses a point pool, and that's what I was familiar with for a long time. When I first was introduced to the Fancy and Magic system, I found it pretty confusing I do remember that because I'm going from point pool magic to the Vancean system. And I was trying to rat like, you mean I can only cast this one spell one time? Like what? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I have appreciation for the Vancean system because it's what I started with and, you know, basic D and D and then advanced and all that. But I won't lie. Vancean is, is, is not likely my favorite. I do think it's very limiting, and I do think that, especially at lower levels, uh, uh, magicians, I think at lower levels, magicians are too weak, and at higher levels, they're too powerful. I don't know if when you run, you do anything to kind of help out a first level or a second level magician. You're like, one spell, and then you're out, baby. Go play with your Rubik's Cube until you level up. I've I've done things in game in the I don't have like this is what I do to help a first level magic user. I mean, I've run the first level magic user just straight down the line, like you know, roll rolled your stats 3d6, no modifiers down the line. You got a first level magic user with 1d4 hit points. We did do something to help the magic user. You got max hit points, you got four hit points to start with. You were stuck with one or two. That was helping the magic user. <laughs> I've played that game. I mean, that's fun game. I really enjoyed those types of games. But at the end of the day, yeah, I I think I might have a fondness and preference for Vancean. I'm not a I don't I'm not a hundred percent sold. I, I play a lot of different games, so I enjoy seeing what different things do. When I go back to playing just a D and D, I'm I'm just like let's just run it how it's been ran because it's something that people tend to know, especially if you're playing with people who know D and D for a while. You don't have to confuse anything. <laughs> if you go playing with a newer group, perhaps that's a bit different. Maybe then one thing I loved and I've always loved is rolling for your spells. I like rolling for them to check to see if you've learned it. I like the whole system where you have more spells then you can actually learn depending on what you've rolled you have a spell book and then you have your slots you have to fill the problem is i don't feel that a lot of times players run that it's supposed to be where you, okay i chose these ones every morning and note them 
it's kind of a grab bag to just go after the spells is what I've noticed. Like, well, what did you memorize in the morning? We got to clarify that every morning. So that's an extra step that makes it a little harder to run it, but I've often been lenient there. So let me ask you a question. When you say you like rolling for your spells, are you specifically meaning like to determine which spells you start out with or to determine which spells you learn as you level? No, the AD&D way is you're looking at the spells. Uh, and, and this is where I got, I think it's from the, it's, I'm pretty sure it was from the AD&D first ed book. That's where I originally got this from. But you look at the spell, you have a percent to learn. Say, okay, yep. I'm going to start my first I can know up to, and it'll give you a number. Like you can learn up to as many as 10 spells of each level, let's say. I don't think, maybe it was kind of, it gets kind of high. And your minimum amount is, they say like five, five to 10 spells. It gives you a minimum and a maximum amount of spells. And your maximum goes up and minimum goes up with your modifiers for intelligence, et cetera, et cetera. So you look at that percent. And it gives you a percentage number and you go, I'm going to try to learn magic missile. And you roll on the percentage number to see if you were able to learn magic missile. You choose what you're trying to learn here. You're going through the list, but are you smart enough to learn it? Did you, did you accomplish learning this one? And then you have it on your, in your spell book to go. So once you've learned it that first time, you're good to go. And you don't get the, I don't think you get to learn or try to learn it again until you level up again. And then you can go back and attempt to relearn that spell. So as a fan of AD&D second edition, and I'm trying to remember it, fighters are proficient with all weapons, right? I believe so. Okay. Um, how would you feel about somebody saying, hey, if I'm going to make me roll to determine my spells, how about you make a fighter roll to determine what weapon he starts out with, depending or she starts out with, depending on. Give me a weapon percent. <laughs> well, if, if you're rolling, though, to determine spells, in my mind, when you're starting at first level, that automatically kind of throws out the, the first level spellcaster or whatever only knows one spell. Because you've already got a list of them you can choose. You can only you might only be able to cast one or two a day, but you've got a list of them that you can choose to cast in that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, again, it's an interesting now. Let me ask you this: the Palladium PowerPoint system. Right? Oh, yes. You started with that. You used yeah. it for a long time, and they use a different version of it, psychic points or whatever. But they basically use the same system and wearing different clothing for psychic powers, if I remember correctly. Pretty much. It's the same for magic and, and psionics. There was ISP and PPE, potential psychic energy. Nice. It, potential psychic energy, I believe the PPE is for the magic, I believe. And I think the ISP, the inner strength points is for the psionics. I think you're right. That's always <laughs> irritated me. Like, I think you should have done something different here. <laughs> i think you're right i think you're right so but you started with that right because you yeah. started well with yeah so. well that wasn't i started with stuff before, before palladium but palladium we were heavy in early it's probably the one i've did my first like like campaign games and stuff with so why is it that that system which you did your first campaign with and you obviously had a lot of love for why is it have you thought about why that magic system didn't resonate with you in the same way that DD did okay I, I i do think that there are a couple things that contribute to this i think one of the biggest things that contributes to it is the open game license oddly enough 
the fact that so much has been able to be put out for D&D over the last 20 years by other people who have tweaked it and played with it. I've I've come to appreciate D&D and really kind of like dig my heels into some of the older editions. Whereas Palladium hasn't had all that. It's just kind of putting out the same things. They haven't had a community of people with an open game license contributing to it, adding to it, expanding on it and saying, hey, we can do all these things with it. Without that open game license, I think that has been one of the biggest influencers on me getting more into the D&D older rule sets in the last 20 years than Palladium. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I was wondering if the actual way it works had anything to do with it. I think we've had this conversation before that that sometimes making things completely straightforward um, and you can't get any more straightforward than you have this many points and a spell costs this many points. You, you can't get any more straightforward than that. Like even the Vancean system is a little bit more kind of like cloaked in like you have slots and you have to roll to see what you know and you have to decide it again you know it's a little bit more cloaked in mystery it's a little bit more there's a little bit more obfuscation going on and don't peek at the man behind the curtain yeah there's a fun thing happening there exactly whereas there's no fun thing it's literally just black and white this is your points this is what it costs and i wonder if the how black and white it is in the palladium system the fact that it's just simple point and point cost there's no what's the right word there's no charm it doesn't have any kind of like mystery yeah there's no point (laughs) mystery and charm it works it works perfectly it's so black and white but maybe it's too black and white maybe you need a little mystery well here's the thing that that i do like about palladium's magic system and you go into is the fact that you have so many points up for your magic with so you whatever 100 pde points and you can use those up but you're not limited to those points because you can draw power from other places human sacrifice is not off of the table i mean that's kind of a cool magic system when you realize well we can do this thing but we may have to do some sacrifices to get the power from the living creatures. Blackleaf, no. I'm like, what? Kind of a crazy magic system in that respect. I do like stuff like that about it. <laughs> interesting, interesting. And I think I vaguely, I do vaguely remember that, in fact. So yeah, you but, can um, draw power from other people or things around you, and and it can get a little a little crazy. <laughs> yeah yeah i could i could i could see that so and by the way just i took a moment just on a, on a tangent here i took a a moment while you were chatting just to grab my arcanum second edition which is the the role-playing game that i was talking about before oh could you tell could you tell just give a full i'm not 100 percent sure what the arcanum is because i've seen this floating around and i'm yeah. and i know a little a little anything about it Okay. Well, it it again, it originally this company called Bard Games, I think it was, came out with these supplements for Dungeons and Dragons. And I think one was called Complete Alchemist and one was called maybe like the Complete Adventurer. Um and they were just these extra character classes that had um some different pizzazz to them. Like they had the bounty hunter. They were they like had- little magazines. Right, kind of, kind of, kind of like a little magazine size because I've I've got the uh, Alchemist one. There you go. There you go. That, that, that's I got people with my dungeon mags. Yeah, and so 
And then um, they ended up taking all that stuff and putting it together and coming out with, and I'm not sure if this Arcanum is by um, that, no, this is a, I think this might be a different company now. Let me see. Um, but they basically put together a trio of books that they called the Atlantean Trilogy. And so the Arcanum is like sort of the rule book. And then there was a bestiary full of art by Bill Sienkiewicz. I love uh, him. I'm a big fan of his. It's all his work back when he was doing like the Moon Knight comic book. I love uh, that book. New God, New Mutants. I mean, I love New Mutants. The that's right. Moon yeah, Knight yeah. And, and like, yeah, I love Bill Sienkiewicz. Like his his arts. He's still online cranking stuff out. Yep. And then there was a third book called like something like the Antediluvian World or something like that, which was basically the entire planet. They did the the entire world. But it was this sort of Conan-esque prehistoric, pre-Ice Age era, which was a mishmash of so many different peoples and cultures, and 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 they were all separate. And so, and I, I mean, this is a complete tangent, but I think one of the reasons it didn't take off is because you looked at this and you're like, I have the whole planet, I don't know what to do with this. Like, it's amazing, but it's so much, <laughs> I don't even begin to know where to like am i supposed to adventure across the whole planet am i just supposed to stay in the wilds of 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 you know proto africa or you know but you've got proto there's samaria and hyperborea by the way are there uh there's so much stuff but in any case uh so this was the the arcanum was the sort of core rule book that had um and again this it's very you could very see the dnd influence like the stats are Strength, speed, dex, con, intelligence, will, charisma, perception. You know, so they basically broke up dex into dex and speed, and they broke up wisdom into will and perception. Perception is, I don't want to go on too far of a tangent with perception. I got stuff to say about this perception, but I think I might wait for another, another episode. <laughs> well, and so you have uh, a whole bunch of races, including like Aesir, which are half giants, and Andaman, which are like uh, uh, humans with like animal heads. Uh, there are these Druus, which are these drow races, which also appeared in uh, another role-playing game, one that used to have the ads, No Elves. Um, no Elves. Yeah, I forget what that one's called right now, but it was this weird world where everything was, I, I will come, I will have that ready for the next podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember the ad at the top of my head. Maybe if I saw it, I could re I recall it, but I can't. Yeah, yeah. It's, was it, it one of the comments? But I don't want to delay. Was it in the back of comics? Back it was in the, in the day, back of Dragon magazines. Magaz for sure. Dragon, oh, for sure. the back of the Dragon Mags. I've probably seen it. Then. Yeah. Oh, and then so these people came out with an updated version called Atlantis: The Second Age, where they put everything together. Yeah, that one I've never seen. In one monstrous tome, which is absolutely beautiful. And this Atlantis: The Second Age game is the one that has the um, spell system where you make up spells kind of as you go by taping different spell elements together yeah i'm gonna have to check that one out it'll be interesting and it seems i mean from what i saw of the the one book it seemed like almost just like a retro clone like a clone of dnd of sorts but this was the time when everybody you know was putting out stuff for dungeons and dragons and i think tsr hadn't started suing everybody like crazy just they were about to but it hadn't quite begun yet yeah there was uh, a lot of good stuff out then like well, wait. Would that have been pre-roll aids or? Uh, no, no. That might have been. A, it might have been around the same time. And by the way, the game that I was mentioning with where the Druids show up is called Talislanta. 
Oh, that I know Talos Lanta, yeah. Like the weird, wacky, everything yeah. is weird and different. And that's another game where they're like, here's the whole world, and you read it and you're like, I've got like what do I do? <laughs> yeah, I've got like one world book for Talos Lanta. I've never really taken the time to really even get into reading through it. I just I think I picked it up used cheap somewhere years ago, like a five dollar bin. I was like, oh, this is cool. Let's check out Talos Lanta. And then it's just been sitting in for what it's worth, it's super cool. It's super cool, but I think it suffers from something that a lot of games previously, this doesn't happen too much anymore, although it still does. Even with some big names, I've seen it happen, where when you have a game uh, that is not familiar, meaning it ain't Dungeons and Dragons, it ain't like James Bond, it's not familiar, like Talislanta or like this Atlantis Second Age um, or, or something like that, and they give you this whole world, if they're not real clear, clear about this is what you're supposed to do in the world i know a lot of people suffered with that with rifts they're like okay this yeah. is the whole world what do we do um because i can be like a vagabond or a guy in powered walking armor tank you know what are we supposed to do i think palladium would have been benefited from putting out a few modules along the way that they didn't put out that would have probably been good a campaign book that was a playable campaign yeah they never put that out that would have been a beneficial thing would have been a better an interesting grid approach in building it up too but that's just it's you know there's a few other things I think that Palladium should have done as well. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but I, I do think that, that, that um, a number of these games suffered from lack of a campaign structure. And it doesn't mm -hmm. need to have one campaign structure. But I think when you give out a whole game world, it doesn't hurt to be, it doesn't hurt to give like three or four or five, like there's the this campaign and there's the that campaign um you know where like conan for example you can be mercenaries or you can be the agents of a particular lord or you can be traitors um the latest traveler i think does that or the, the latest version of mongoose traveler where they give you there's different kinds of campaigns yeah free leagues real good about, free leagues real good in their books about giving you specific games to play and showing you the direction even when like Mutant Year Zero itself is a hex crawl, so it's not, but there's still some adventure type stuff and some locations explaining how to do this and play it, telling you what your goal is to build up your stronghold to do this and survive, you know, so it gives you an illustration and shows you how to do this game and play it this way. Each of the different Mutant Year Zero books kind of includes a different type of game you're going to play with that book, so it explains that game. Coriolis at the beginning when you're making your crew you decide what kind of crew are you going to be are you going to be smugglers are you going to be you know mercenaries are you going to be religious zealots are you going to be political revolutionaries are you going to be teamsters <laughs> figuring out what your crew is going to be and then it gives you the stuff the, the adventures and shows you how to run it and gives you started on that way they're really good about giving you that here's the game you can play this is how to play it. I like it better than a lot of folks have done over the years. One of the real clear uh, elements of uh, game design nowadays is not just, you know, what's your game about and, you know, whatever, but what do the players do? What do the players do in the game? That might have to, that might have to be the, that might have to be the title of our next one. Cause we're way over time at this point. <laughs>
<laughs> All right, I might so have the to next cut one. at least five minutes out of this. <laughs> for the next one, we'll talk about what players do and how free league is brilliant. Well, that's every podcast, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How important that is in game design and also when figuring out what you're doing for your own game. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give us a positive review wherever you're listening. You can find us and follow and like us on Facebook, Wobblies and Wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog and keep those dice rolling.